You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Doug Weaver, immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology. Investigators are pursuing more aggressive strategies to maintain sinus rhythm. One area of current inquiry centers on pulmonary vein isolation as an alternative to AV nodal ablation and biventricular pacing for certain arrhythmias. How effective is pulmonary vein isolation at preventing an arrhythmia relapse? Our guest today is Dr. Mohammed Khan, an electrophysiologist in private practice at Cardiovascular Associates based in the suburbs of Chicago. Dr. Khan is the lead author of a research published in the New England Journal of Medicine on pulmonary vein ablation to treat atrial fibrillation in patients with heart failure. Welcome, Dr. Khan. Thank you for having me. Why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about the study that appeared in the New England Journal. The study was actually uh, the first study that looked at this interesting question of patients that have atrial fibrillation along with heart failure. To kind of get a step back a little bit, atrial fibrillation ablation has probably been around for about 10 years, and studies have been undertaken in patients who had normal ejection fraction or weren't without heart failure. And the whole idea of the study was to further the field to see if pulmonary vein isolation, which is a type of atrial fibrillation ablation, was superior to or, or not superior to what was commonly used in patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure, and that is AV node ablation and implantation of biventricular pacemakers. So we wanted to compare it to the best treatment possible at the time. And so the trial is a multicenter randomized control trial It is not blinded due to the nature of the procedures. Nonetheless, patients were randomized to receiving either pulmonary vein isolation for an atrial fibrillation ablation versus getting an AV node ablation with biventricular pacer. How bad was their heart failure? Their heart failure had to be New York Heart Association class 2 or 3, and in addition, their ejection fractions were 40% or less. We're really talking about a sick group of individuals, and the mean ejection fraction in the group turned out to be around 27 to 28%. And so when you compare the characteristics of the patients that were enrolled in this trial, it's equivalent to what you would normally see in a biventricular pacing study. So, in other words, a very sick group of individuals that oftentimes weren't considered for pulmonary vein isolation. So they were randomized into the study, and they were followed for six months. And essentially, the primary endpoint was a composite endpoint. And with atrial fibrillation, it's oftentimes difficult to find endpoints that matter because patients usually don't die of atrial fibrillation. However, they don't feel well, they get congestive heart failure, their ejection fractions may not be as high as one would want them to be. So our composite endpoint looked at three components. One was six-minute walk distance, in other words, a component of how much they could do. The other one was more a morphologic component, which was ejection fraction. And the third one was how they felt, and we used the Minnesota Living with Heart Failure Questionnaire. And the trial enrolled 81 patients, 41 were randomized to pulmonary vein isolation, and 40 were randomized to AV node ablation with biventricular pacing. And it showed, number one, that pulmonary vein isolation was successful in about 
71% of these individuals in terms of having freedom from atrial fibrillation at six months. And it also showed that the pulmonary vein isolation procedure was superior to the other strategy, the strategy of using an AV node ablation with biventricular pacemaking. And it was significant on all three accounts on each one of the individual endpoints in terms of ejection fraction, the ejection fraction difference at six months while they were equal in the beginning. The ejection fraction had improved to 35% in the pulmonary vein isolation group versus 28%. Patients walked longer and significantly on a six-minute walk distance, and they felt a lot better on the quality of life questionnaire. And how much further did they walk, or how much longer were they able to walk? If you look at the distance, they walked 340 meters in the pulmonary vein isolation group versus 297 meters. And so when you look at that, put it in perspective, you know, that's a difference of 43 meters. And you look at the biventricular pacing trials, and that's sort of a lot of where these endpoints came from. That is about the difference that you would see in some of the trials that were done in the past 10 years on biventricular pacing. So that is a significant distance. And how long had these patients had atrial fibrillation? The duration of atrial fibrillation wasn't a criteria in the study. However, when you look at the duration of atrial fibrillation, they're, they're on average about four years. About 50% of the participants in this trial had paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, and about 50% had persistent or long-standing persistent, as the new term is called by Heart Rhythm Society and the American College of Cardiology. 50% of these folks had persistent or long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation. Did any of the patients require repeat procedures in order to maintain sinus rhythm, those that got pulmonary vein isolation? Yes, and that is an important point that you bring up, is that the way that the pulmonary vein isolation procedure is done, it's on average about, I would say, 70 or 80% of individuals who undergo pulmonary vein isolation procedure end up requiring only one procedure. Oftentimes, when ablationists go in there to isolate the pulmonary veins, there will oftentimes be a recovery of conduction around the pulmonary veins, or there will be a little gap that was not isolated to begin with, and it oftentimes requires a second procedure. And in terms of the number of individuals who underwent a second procedure of the 41 patients, it was less than 10 patients who underwent a second procedure. If you're joining us now, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Weaver. Our guest is Dr. Mohammed Khan, an electrophysiologist in private practice at Cardiovascular Associates based in the suburbs of Chicago. We're discussing pulmonary vein isolation to treat atrial fibrillation. Dr. Khan, when you look in retrospect at the findings of your study, do you think there are candidates that are particularly suitable for this versus all of them that were enrolled in the trial? Were there some that seemed to benefit even greater? That's an excellent point that you bring up. One of the things that we looked at in the subgroups was patients that had paroxysmal atrial fibrillation versus those that did not, those that had persistent or long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation. And one of the interesting findings that we discovered was that those patients that had more severe atrial fibrillation, atrial fibrillation had been there despite patients getting cardioversions, for instance, or despite trying multiple antiarrhythmic medications, 
And those were the patients that seemed to have a larger improvement in their ejection fraction. They seemed to have a greater increase in their six-minute walk distance, and they seemed to have a greater improvement in their quality of life questionnaire scores. So I think that it's a little bit counterintuitive when you think about it. The sickest are the best, but oftentimes the sickest are the ones that we think, well, they're a little too sick to undergo an invasive option such as pulmonary vein isolation procedure, but that's what the data show. And I think that speaks to the fact that if patients who otherwise don't have uh, significant other comorbidities, but other than having a cardiomyopathy and atrial fibrillation or symptomatic from that with heart failure, those patients really should be considered for atrial fibrillation ablation. Now, the one caveat to all of this is that the uh, 12 centers which participated in this trial were all centers which had uh, extensive amount of experience with pulmonary vein isolation for atrial fibrillation ablation. This is not something that I would recommend for someone who has had minimal experience with atrial fibrillation to undertake. Usually it requires having done hundreds, if not thousands of cases to be able to do these types of procedures. They are long. They take anywhere from three to six hours or even longer and you know, there are potential complications associated with an invasive procedure, although the complication rate, as many trials have shown over the past five to 10 years, have gone down significantly, and the success rate has gone, down, gone up in those intervening years. Right. Perforation and pulmonary vein stenosis used to be a problem. Is it still? Pulmonary vein stenosis is a problem that we see very infrequently. It used to be that, and it has a lot to do with the technique of the ablation itself, and also has to do with newer technology and imaging tools. The technique for ablating the pulmonary veins has changed so that the ablation doesn't occur actually in and around the pulmonary vein os. It occurs more in what we call the pulmonary vein antrum, and that just means that we ablate a little bit farther away from the pulmonary vein so as to not cause stenosis. And so we would routinely have patients that would need pulmonary vein dilatation or stenting, and my experience, you know, I haven't seen that for the past five years. Now, perforation is, is still is a problem. The rates of perforation, I think, have gone down, and especially at centers where there are experienced centers where they do a lot of volume, and that I think there definitely is a learning curve to that with the newer technologies, and, and it has to do with technical issues of manipulation and pressure and temperature and those sort of things, but that, that, that complication rate is also going down. Let's talk about the success rates for pulmonary vein isolation and in all situations, not just heart failure. What is the success rate can we expect in patients that have paroxysmal atrial fibrillation versus those that have chronic atrial fibrillation, we'll say, for a year or less, and those that have it for much longer durations? It all really depends on where they get the atrial fibrillation ablation done. I know that in the studies that have been published, the success rates range for proxysmal atrial fibrillation, and these are patients that have normal ejection fraction and have proxysmal atrial fibrillation. Those patients' success rates, I think the published rates are anywhere from, I would say, maybe in the 70% range, maybe 65, 70%, up to 85 to 90%. 
And some of the differences in the studies may be the patient population, the way that the patients are followed or how long they're followed for, and the, and the techniques for atrial fibrillation ablation. Even though we term atrial fibrillation ablation as one type of technique, there are different techniques or a mix of techniques, and those are undergoing trials currently. So there still is a variation in terms of success for, for that. Now, for chronics or long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation, the success rates, if you look at the published rates, I think there were several studies out, Bordeaux, France, by uh, Dr. Hassegger and his colleagues, and those rates are more in the range of 70%, 60 to 70%, so definitely a lower success rate in those patients. But nonetheless, when you compare that success rate with other therapies such as AV node ablation with biventricular pacemaker or antiarrhythmic medications, there is a significant difference favoring the ablation procedure. We've been talking with Dr. Mohammed Khan about pulmonary vein isolation to treat atrial fibrillation in patients with heart failure. Dr. Khan, thank you for being our guest. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.